in terms of mental health, everyone has it. It relates to your overall well-being. Welcome to our podcast, Teaching and Leading with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. I am Dr. Amy Viaclia, Director of Educator Preparation. And I am Dr. Joy Patterson, Chief Diversity Officer. Our podcast addresses issues through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion, along with solutions for us to grow as educators. So join us on our journey to become better teachers and leaders. So let's get into it. Hello, Dr. Joy. Hi, Dr. Amy. How are you? I'm doing great. We have this fantastic conversation planned today with counseling and wellness with as our focus. Yeah, kind of a somber conversation, huh? You know, because we hear that mental illness is on the rise. I am really looking forward to learning more about mental illness because I think for many people, we don't even realize when we're dealing with a mental illness. You know, we look at some of those big factors and big issues as mental illness, but we all face mental illness challenges, right? And I think this conversation will help us recognize it. And then what are we doing about it? Exactly. I think it, this conversation offers hope because mm-hmm. we don't, like with any of our conversations, we don't sit with the problem. We try to find solutions. And that's what really energizes me about what we're doing. Community mental health, college counseling, and a not-for-profit agency. In addition to our responsibilities, Dr. Major Ford will be co-hosting a podcast called Grief Scars, Fall of 2023, providing a safe space for survivors of various losses to learn, process, and heal. So very important. Her expertise primarily lies in working with college students focusing on individual and group therapy. She has a particular interest in helping individuals cope with grief and loss, especially related to homicide and violent death, and is dedicated to working with African-American men in this context. Furthermore, she specializes in addressing relationship issues, depression, mood disorders, anxiety disorders, adjustment issues, life transitions, including college and midlife, stress management, coping skills, substance abuse, and spirituality or religion. Wow. Our students are so privileged. Yes, they are fortunate to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning, Dr. Kim. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You look wonderful, and hopefully this will be good practice for your upcoming podcast. Make sure that it's in the show notes. We know that a lot of people need help, and sometimes people just need to listen. Sometimes people need to hear, you know, those things. And I think putting a podcast out there could be another way to provide healing for people, right? Yes, yes. And uh, earlier, Dr. Amy and I, we were talking about mental illness. So I'm looking forward to you even telling us what is a mental illness, because most of us don't 
tend to think that we have a mental illness because we think of some of those big things as mental illness and we don't think of some of these things that we deal with on a daily basis and sometimes depression as mental illness. So we're looking forward to diving into this today. But before we do, okay. let's talk about you. Let's get to know you better. Oh, something I do want to add to your resume that Kim Major Ford, Dr. Kim is also one of the leaders in creating our new program, Achieving Completion with Excellence, our ACE program, with, which is for emancipated foster youth that are going to college. So we created a program that's going to help make them successful. So I'm really, really excited about that and happy that you've added that to your resume, Dr. Kim. But tell us about your journey. I mean, there's a lot on your, there's a lot on your bio. So if you could just unpack it for us, tell us about your journey to GSU, the Governor State University, and the work that you're doing here. Yes, yes. So I think that what is key um, in terms of my journey uh, here, and not only at at uh, Governor State, but also just in, in at University Counseling Center, that really came about in my training, particularly at Olivet Nazarene University and Northern Illinois University, where uh, working with students uh, who came to the Counseling Center, I really saw a need, and particularly with students of, of color, BIPOC students. And the, the hesitation to access counseling. And when those students in particular access counseling, particularly African-American students, um, even though they access counseling, a lot of times they then terminate counseling. But it also it really highlighted, you know, that's a transitional period in an in individual's life, right? It's very impactful going to college during that in that season of their life and that journey, there's so much that's happening, but there's also so much growth that happens during that time as well. And so I was excited to be able to be a part of the student's journey as they explored uh, new areas um, of life and uh, diversity and um, experiences. And so being able to journey with them as they looked at some things, things that may have been challenging for them, things that they're excited about or just goals. Uh, life goals, I, I really developed an affinity for that population. Let's talk more about that close view you've had of the college campus, especially in most recent years and the pandemic and all that it brought with it. What do you see as the evolution of mental health on college campuses? Yeah, so I think um, if you kind of look back historically, counseling kind of started just like 1860s. And so basically it really looked at uh, the physical illness of students, right? And exercise. And then it moved, it moved like 50 years later in the 1900s to hygiene, a hygiene movement, if you will. And, and it really kind of, that was kind of the beginning, right? Uh, and it happened at Princeton, I think around 1910, where they recognized that students who had potential, um, who, who, um, but they were leaving school 
uh, they were dropping out, they was not completing their degree uh, for due to emotional and personal concerns. And so that was kind of like the, the birth of college counseling, right? But it didn't really expand into the 60s, actually, um, where more universities began to have service uh, students in terms of counseling. And then if you look further on in the 70s, there was um, more Black and Hispanic students accessing counseling. And then in the 80s and 90s, Asian students began uh, accessing counseling. And so as you can see, that's not been that long ago, but it was really, it started in a, in a traditional sense, right? You had mainly psychiatrists providing services, and then it moved into a multidisciplinary where you had um, psychologists and social workers that came on board, um, but it was traditional. Now what we're seeing is there's this movement, especially since uh, in recent years, there's been more conversation in terms of mental health and well-being and, and you know, well-being kind of movement, if you will. And so there's more access to it, but then also because of the diversity, more students are accessing counseling. There's been a, there's now a move or a push to do things differently, to kind of think outside the box, mm -hmm. um, to be able to provide uh, different types of services that are not traditional, such as group therapy, um, mm -hmm. workshops, uh, skills groups, management, time management, you know, those things. And so it's needed because, again, um, you have to look at uh, the students who are now accessing counseling. They're not traditional students. And so you can't do things the way you used to right. at the beginning years ago. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate is a lot of these counseling sessions and group sessions occurring at the P-12 level now. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps to normalize it, that we all need some kind of counseling, mental health, wellness at some point in our lives. And so it's not so much stigmatized. You know, I read that half the people with mental illness do not receive help. And we see that manifest all the time. We see it on the news, how it manifests itself, that people with who need help do not get help. That's a big number. However, it doesn't necessarily surprise me because, you know, as I think about, it, especially when I was in college, hmm, would I, would, have, would I have walked into that counseling office? You know, that would have been a big step for me, you know, based on my ethnicity, how my culture, how I grew up, my religious background, like you, you just don't share things outside of the home, right? And so there were a lot of things that would have prevented me from doing so. So how has receiving help for people with certain cultures and ethnic and religious groups how have they been stigmatized and what are we doing to remove that stigma so we take that stigma away and get them to having help? Yes, thank you. That's a good question. So I kind of want to build on what you had just mentioned, right? Because you that was loaded. You had that's that's a lot that you said, right? And so I can I, there's a lot of thoughts that I'm having right now, but one that I want to build on is when you said that P through 12, you know, students. I believe that that also speaks to what you mentioned, Dr. Amy, in terms of 
the evolution of mental health. And that is being able to provide it to students at an early age counseling. That change is really important because as you know, in terms of, of lifetime course, up until about 14, 50% of, of students up to 14 have at least one mental disorder. And then by tw age 24, it's about 75%. So you can see in that, in that age range, right, that students are struggling. And so being able to provide that is really important. In terms of stigma, that too is important. You, you touched on something that is really important in terms of the religious piece, right? The cultural piece. And so again, there's several things that you can do to be able to reduce that stigma. One is education. Education is really the key. It's also normalizing the culture, right? In certain cultures, it's not normal to access counseling. And so having a conversation that it's okay not to be okay, having conversations about positive experiences in the community for those that have access counseling, that goes a long way. And so education is the key to that, being able to um, give your testimony about positive experiences that you have, and then also having conversations that it's okay, it's normal, you know, life happens. We all experience moments in our lives that is difficult and being able to have support is important. And so having those conversations will, will definitely destigmatize mental health and access to counseling. I want to talk about the education piece to destigmatize seeing a counselor, going to the wellness center. Could you tell us about GSU's Counseling and Wellness Center and your role there, like what part does education play and what kind of other services are uh, can people expect from the Counseling and Wellness Center? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So just as I had mentioned, education is really a key where awareness, right? And I believe that my team and I, we do a really good job in terms of reaching out beyond the four walls of the counseling center to connect, to engage with students. That's one way to normalize mental health and, and access the counseling, that they see us at events, that they can talk to us, right? We bring that humanity piece uh, to it. And we also recognize, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of doing things different, being creative, right? Because we see across the United States um, the demand for counseling has increased, right? But the resources cannot meet those demands of students accessing counseling. Because as you mentioned, Dr. Joy, that you have a generation now who have access counseling in elementary school, in high school. And so those students are now filtering into the higher education. And so they are accessing counseling at a greater rate we recognize that here at the Counseling Center. Um, here at GSU, not only do we service non-traditional students, but the majority of them are commuters, about what, 98%. And so again, that speaks to, you have to be able to look at the population that you serve. And so being sensitive and having that awareness, part of that is, again, education, awareness, but also, access. Here, we're doing things different. We're being creative. 
what we have launched now, um, and I'm really excited to say in the last couple of months, we have launched what we call Living Well at GSU. And that is going to be available to students. It's the, the premise is it's a 24 seven, 365 days a year of immediate access. Yay. Yes, we're, we're so excited about it. Um, because again, we have students who experience many barriers. Mm -hmm. They work, um, they have full-time jobs or part-time jobs. They work in the day, they may have evening work hours. Um, they have families. A lot of students are caregivers. And so when we look at the demographic in which we serve in the past, we have to do things differently. So now students can be able to uh, call into the, the counseling center and be able to receive immediate support, mm -hmm. even after our office hours. Right, because we know a lot of times despair occurs in the evening, right? Absolutely. And this can really, really help, you know, have joy in the morning. We know that, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> so have joy. But it, yeah. it really does sometimes when you are alone, in your quiet space, that's when despair occurs. Uh -huh. And it's after five. We can't come to campus. We can't talk to someone. So having that service available is yeah. a game changer. And that's amazing. It, it is. It is. And so, again, they, students are now able to get in-the-moment support. Wonderful. In-the-moment support not only during the week, but also the weekday. And then what we also have launched is peer support, mm -hmm. right? Because again, students, you know, they talk to their friends, they're comfortable. Have an individual face-to-face -face therapy, uh, while that is great and is needed, some students don't need that, right? They need to be able to have a space where they feel comfortable to access support. And so peer support is important. So we have partnered with Together All. That's where students can be able to go online anonymously. It's monitored by licensed mental health professionals where they can connect with others who have shared experiences. They can receive support. There's self-directed self-help courses. They can set goals, they can journal, there's a place for them to be creative. And then also we have MindWise, which is also an online behavioral mental health a screening tool where it empowers uh, students to access mental health, gain awareness about the challenges that they're experiencing and make informed decisions. This is really great. These are some really great tools. We're going to add them to the show notes so that people have access to them, because these are great tools. When we think about planning for our lives and goal setting, rarely do we think about our mental health, but it's the mental health that gets you to the next step anyway. So I think this is really, really important. And you know, not everyone who needs mental health counseling has what's considered a mental illness. And I think that is important for people to hear. When we're talking about wellness, mm -hmm. again, I want to say that again, not everyone who needs mental health counseling or wellness is considered 
to have a mental illness. So I think that's a, a huge group. Mm-hmm. You know, I am I am happy about when we talk about all these new things that help destigmatize it and get people to you, that celebrities are even coming out and say, I'm dealing with this issue. I'm receiving counseling. This is how counseling has helped me. Now, who doesn't want to be like a celebrity, right? So I think those things help. And I read that some stuff in NEA all about this, and I kind of see myself fitting in those categories. It also talked about the majority of college students today meet the criteria for at least one mental health problem. And you alluded to that earlier, like, and you think, sit back and you think about yourself, it's like, hmm, could I have a mental health problem? Would I even know how to identify a mental health problem? So I want you to help us, you know, with that. The, the mental health problem, it's across all categories of people, right? right. All ages, all ethnicities. All religious groups, whether you want to, you know, call it a problem or not, (laughs) it's still there. It's across all of us. And to make matters worse, like you said, counseling centers now, they're they're overwhelmed. So I'm glad we're doing some things that can kind of lighten the load and give people access without it being so overwhelming. So, you know, when I read those things, I get several messages. So I got I'm going to sum up some things for myself so I can ask a question here. To me, it seems like most college students have some kind of mental health problem at some point. That's what I'm getting out of this. First, I'm going to let you explain what, and this is like a three-part question. So, but first I'll stop and let you explain what is a mental health problem. And I think a mental health problem is different than a mental health illness, right? You can correct me. And I wonder also, I mean, wouldn't that also be different from a mental health crisis? Okay, yeah, educate us. Yes, yes, absolutely. What you had mentioned, uh, Dr. Joy, is that yes, mental health does not discriminate. That's one area, (laughs) it does not discriminate. It affects us all, right? And so, yes, we all, in terms of mental health, everyone has it. It relates to your overall well-being. Uh, and then there is mental illness, and which is a health condition, but what you're experiencing is clinically significant. It's affecting your functioning, your normal ability to function. And so that's that's really the def- what defines or differentiates between the two. So we all experience stress in life, right? There's stressors. We are anxious. We experience sadness, but then we're able to work through it, use coping skills, and be able to come through it. Whereas when you talk about a mental health uh, illness or just it's diagnosable, meaning it's affecting how you function. There's from mild to severe, where there's no there's no relief. It's it's present. It's persistent, and it's affecting you um, socially. It's affecting you academically. It's affecting you at work, and so that's on a high level, the difference between the two. Okay, so that helped, that helped me, you know, because I think sometimes when we deal with mental health challenges, I'll call it that, that are not clinically diagnosed, that we know that counselors are busy, 
you know, we know that there's a huge demand. And so I feel like, why should I take up room? Why should I take up space? Why should I take up space from that person that may have a bigger issue than me? I mean, how do I get past myself? How do people in these demographic groups that rarely receive treatment, how do we get past that where we feel like we're enough where we can receive help and not feel guilty that my problem is too small and I don't want to take time away from other people. Right. Two things. One is mental health. Some, some mental health problems, they're preventable, right? It's sort of like with your health. I like to be able to look at both of them in terms of your physical health and your mental health. And so you go to the doctor, right? And you go, you have your annual visits because why? It's preventive care. That's the same thing with mental health. You know, you access counseling to be able to build skills, right? Resiliency, that's the coping skills, right? So that when things do come up in your life where it's more difficult, you have a toolbox of, of skills that you can access. So are and you so telling me I should have a mental that we, not me, I mean, me personally too, <laughs> should have, and I never thought about that, Kim. So you're really helping me, Dr. Kim, that I should have like a mental health checkup, number one. And number two, I should probably do some mental health PD type stuff, mm-hmm. right? Is that what you're telling me? That's what I'm telling you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes you just want to do a check-in. You know, again, it's that mental health. I'm just checking in. Where am I? Right. Again, what we talked about is it's normalizing. It's changing the culture. Right. Because a lot of this is preventative. But again, when you feel like you don't have any options or choices or or, um, an option to be able to access a skill to help you in certain areas, then it becomes oppressive because you don't see a way out. But to be able to have a conversation, to be able to talk to someone in a safe uh, space and confidence and be able to speak what you're experiencing, sometimes that's enough, right? To be able to get out of what is in your head and to be able to speak it and then you'll be able to face it and to be able to deal with it before it becomes a major problem. No, that is so very helpful. Whenever we think about our physical well-being, if we see there's an issue or sometimes even, like you said, it's preventative. We are seeing a a lot of uh, stress and a a lot of anxiety. Really, the pandemic, I think, uh, it shined a light on some issues and exacerbated other issues. Could you talk a little bit about the Mental Health Early Action on Campus Act and the standards that the Counseling and Wellness Center are implementing or have implemented? And what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So so this year, uh, Governor Pritzker signed the Mental Health Early Action on Campus Act which provided funding to universities and colleges to address the gaps in mental health services on campus and um, in Illinois and to increase access. And so that's what we're kind of talking about today, right? Which was, it's crucial 
Um, I applaud the governor for signing this because universities need the funding. And so, yes, governor state received funds. And a part of that, the standard or what they were looking to do was to be able to increase training, peer support, and also partnerships on campus and in the community. And so they found that it was important in particular with the partnerships because again, some students for whatever reason may not access counseling on campus. And so being able to provide them with resources in the community is also important. Being able to have partnerships with um, community organizations, you can be able to send students there. And also because it is a, a college counseling center, there are some things that we just cannot do. A lot of us have a brief therapy model where students don't have unlimited sessions. And so some need a higher level of care. And so when we're able to connect with the community, we are able to provide referrals to students who may need a higher level of care, or they have, they're experiencing a, a disorder that, um, we don't treat at college counseling centers. And so that was really important. And so that's what we did here at the counseling center, uh, Governor State. We have training, we increase workshops. Again, I talked about the three areas in terms of peer support, uh, 24 seven access to um, crisis support, uh, mental health screening, because again, and we talked about this in Dr. Joy, you mentioned in terms of, it takes a lot of courage to come to a counseling center and to be able to sit across from someone and share what's difficult. The reality is some students that just, it's not something that they want to do. And so then you have to, have to provide other access to students that is anonymous, where they feel comfortable in a certain, in a certain environment. Um, that's what we did. We looked at the population that we served and what are the barriers, and we addressed those barriers. Mm -hmm. And the resources that we offer, are they all free? They're all free. And pretty much unlimited unless we have to refer them outside. So which is great is what is good is that we have a, a multi pieces, if you will, right? Um, so if individual therapy, you're not looking for that, that's okay. Uh -huh. We have group counseling. You're not looking for group counseling. You want to just be able to connect with our peers and get support that way. You can do that. Behavioral screenings, that's something you want to do. Again, you can do that as well. There's so many different uh, resources available to students now uh -huh. than we've ever had in the past for students. They can do that 24-7. Also, what I did not mention is that we're also bringing psychiatric services here oh, wonderful. to the counseling center, which is really important because, again, you can have talk therapy, but also um, some students are looking for medication. And sometimes in combination, that works well, right. and we students. don't want students self-medicating. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And here's the thing is that while it's not um, unlimited sessions, we're here for them throughout their journey to, um, through 
GSU, their educational experience. And so they can come, they can access counseling all the years that they're here. We also build them up. We talk about that resiliency. And so there will be moments where we, we call it like sharpening those, those, those tools mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of the therapeutic uh, the space. We have a lot of different resources that are available, new resources to students here at GSU. Um, we're excited about it. Again, we're launching a campaign. We have a new website. And then also we have a page that's specifically dedicated to the services that I share with you all today. So Kim, what is the most common thing that students on campus come to Counseling Center about? And has the pandemic impacted that? Has it changed? What's the most common thing that people come see you about? Depression, Mm. anxiety. And how has the pandemic and post-pandemic impacted that? For those who have already, who were already experiencing uh, mental health concerns or problems, it exacerbated those disorders that, that they were experiencing. I think that more students are accessing counseling um, since the pandemic because, again, I think that that connection uh, was missing. And mm-hmm. so we see that students are excited. We added uh, teletherapy where we have virtual sessions, but now we're seeing students saying, you know, before it was like, yeah, I, I love it. I can be, you know, in my room, I could be at home and I can mm-hmm. access counseling. But we're also seeing students now saying, no, I want to come in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we also, we, we offer in-person as well. And so I think that um, more students are accessing counseling. I think also because during the pandemic, there was a lot of conversation about uh, mental health, counseling, well-being, uh, mindfulness. A lot of students are are looking at mindfulness, meditation. And so um, it had op- it has opened up a conversation. And so I'm starting to see the shift in terms of, again, that cultural norm. Yeah. Right. You know, the, Amy and I, we were just talking about mindfulness. And, you know, we want to turn everything into data. Like, it would be great to see because we offer mindfulness classes built in some of the majors and what's been the impact, what's the outcome and how do you measure that? You know, it would also be interesting, which is sometimes hard to measure. What is the impact of receiving mental health wellness therapy? You know, what is the impact of that? And we know indirectly that it has a huge impact on student retention and student completion, student success, and just their overall, we know that it has huge outcome, but it's hard to collect data on that, right? It is. You talked a lot about your external partnerships and it's, it's fantastic to have such a connection to the community, to virtual resources. It's blowing me away at what kind of access GSU is offering students which is, it's phenomenal. Could you also share about your partnerships with, in the university? Uh, What about with the GSU police uh, or faculty, staff? Uh, What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So we've heard the term that it takes a village, right? (laughs) And so that really is 
that really is key here is that, you know, we cannot do this alone. We cannot do this work alone. And having partnerships within GSU is really important. You mentioned the police department. And when I, I, I met with uh, Chief McGee in terms of uh, the, the new, the living well at GSU, he immediately expressed support because we need them. And they are a key component to what will make this work, right? Because again, we are providing services to students 24 seven, 365 days. The counseling center is open Monday through Friday from nine to five. And so students who are in crisis, um, they can access the, the um, in the moment counseling crisis support line, but also it may require that a police department being notified to be able to help in terms of students if they are uh, they live here on campus uh, in residential housing to be able to uh, contact uh, emergency services to be able to you know support the student to give them access to um, the care that they need and so that was really important I appreciate him coming on board it was like what do you need us to do I would make sure that my officers are trained, they are aware of the program. And then we have the faculty. Um, they, they reach out to the counseling center, ask us to come to the class, to, the, to their classes, to present to them, to the students, which is really important because that helps to destigmatize mental health. And so having us in the classroom, talking with the students, giving them opportunity to ask questions, to be able to learn about the services that we provide is really important. And so we appreciate that. And just I want a side note is that now what we have is also where faculty and staff can also access the uh, counseling center's website. And now we have a form for faculty to fill out if they want us to come to the classroom and also we make it available that if there's any event here on campus where the content may, may elicit emotions, that they have a counselor present. So that's counselor in support at these events. We will come to the event so that if a student is experiencing uh, some emotional feelings or having a reaction to whatever it is that's being presented, at that particular event, a counselor will be there to support that student. Again, that is being able to do things differently to meet the needs of students. We want to be able to provide events and experiences to students, but we also aware that sometimes it can be emotional. And okay. so support is important. That is phenomenal. I hope that we can get that word out to all of our faculty members for any kind of event or topic that might have a an alarming uh, component or might trigger some raw emotions that they reach out. It's fantastic. Um, before we go, I want to come back and talk about the mental health check-in. So what questions do we need to be asking ourselves during a mental health check-in? What, what do we just need to reflect upon in order to kind of see if we're in the, in the right space? 
Yeah, so during a check-in, you just kind of want to come in and um, just share about, you know, maybe there's some goals. What are maybe some barriers to that goal, to those goals that you have? It may be, you know, just checking in with yourself. How am I feeling, right? Learning about the questions to ask. And, and, and not only that, but even in the moment, learning that you can do that throughout the day, right? And so being able to uh, have a check-in. So I think, and I'm not sure if you can bring clarity in terms of, is do you mean in terms of a check-in with a counselor or just a check-in uh, in your own personal space, uh, in your time? In our own personal space, I'm wondering what should we be asking ourselves? Yeah, yeah. In that, like making that decision, whether we need to seek additional support, additional help, because we do normalize our feelings and our emotions. We're like, oh, I'm just stressed right now. I'm a little anxious because this project is due. And when should we be asking ourselves, is this, is this really normal to feel this way? Do I need additional support? Do I need to be talking to someone about this? And I think we all are guilty of that. And just, oh, I'm just stressed right now. I I can handle it though. Dr. Amy, you just you just talked yourself through it. That's that's exactly the question that you want to ask. Good job, Dr. Amy. Yep, yep. absolutely. Have and then you can call me your peer and I can say, Amy, this is above, <laughs> this is above me. Let's get you to the counseling center. But yes, Dr. Amy, those are the questions you want to ask yourself, right? Oh, wonderful. Um, and then, you know, again you know, how am I doing? One of the, I, I, I mentioned this earlier. And so it is, if you continue to find yourself sad and it's persistent, it's not lifting, it's affecting your ability to function. And it happens over a longer period of time, then you might want to, you know, ask yourself, I, I, I might need to be able to, I need to talk to someone. That's the key is to look at how significant is it affecting you in terms of your functioning? Now, as a student, we have a CARES team here at, at GSU. And so the CARES team is uh, made up of different individuals in a department where faculty and staff can be able to report you know, a student in terms of mm. They have witnessed in class, et cetera. Anyone we think that's in crisis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's some things that you might want to be aware of to to look at in terms of of that. But the CARES team, again, it's it's a structure to report students of concern. And that's good because that student, sometimes I think you're in a place where you don't even know how to get help or you you just don't know where to turn to. So I really love that component. But it's been an education for me. It's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, We will add all these resources in our show notes so that people can access you and the center. But this has just been a marvelous conversation. Thank you for enlightening us. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Let's have a follow-up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Leading with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. 
visit our website at govst.edu slash teaching and leading podcast to see the show notes from this episode. We appreciate Governor State University's work behind the scenes to make publishing possible. Stay tuned for more episodes with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.